Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. RJ, all of the off-season languishing we've been doing is finally over. Training camp has started. Preseason kicks off tonight. The start of the regular season is, what, two-ish weeks away. Kraken hockey is back. Oh yeah, it definitely is. And I'm so excited for this week's podcast. It feels like we have... 10 August podcasts worth of news to talk about all rolled up into one because we have Kraken players on the ice for training camp. We've had three days of training camp already. And of course, the preseason starts today. Yeah, it's uh, it's been quite a week for you up there covering things, you know, kicking things off with rookie camp back at the start of last week. As everybody knows, we recorded that that last week's episode right before rookie camp. It was kind of our last one of trying to just fill space, get to the season, do something uh, before we had things to talk about. And boy, do we have things to talk about this week. So I think we should just go ahead and dive into it. Obviously, you've been at rookie camp at, all throughout training camp. Uh, I haven't been up there. So I think the best way to handle this is almost like me interviewing you about what's going on at training camp since, you know, I can't exactly give my thoughts and opinions on what's been going on, <laughs> having not seen anything. Uh, so, Sounds good. I'll try and let you get a word in edgewise here and there. I know. I know. I'm sure I'll find a way to just sneak in there. But I think we should start with just, you know, general who's looked good so far like like who has stood out to you has anybody like really grabbed your attention maybe one of the new arrivals somebody coming back from an injury maybe or one of the young guys just I think that's a good way to just kind of kick things off who's who's looked good let's start with the good stuff <laughs> you know this answer might not be what you'd think of but can I say the coaching staff okay okay no as unpopular of a start as this may be to the podcast, I have to talk about how impressed I am with the way that they've been running training camp. Like I went to every single day of training camp last year. I watched all the on ice sessions and it is a night and day difference last year to this year. Last year, it was kind of very light. A lot of, you know, two on O's, three on O's, very few game type situations, maybe some mini rink between the blue lines and, you know, that's, that kind of lasted all season, really. And I think you pointed this out, too, when you came up for games, right? How different their practice habits were to other teams, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was uh, it was just kind of a lot of the same drills over and over, and that was kind of it. <laughs> exactly. And then this year, though, there's physicality right off the bat. That's something you notice right away. I'd say, honestly, I feel like there's been more physicality through three days of training camp this year than there was all of last year. I'm serious. It, it's a lot more like the first drill Tuesday coach dumps the puck in defenseman goes and gets it Two four checkers there to slam into the boards and bring pressure. A lot of like these one-on-one -on -one, two on two board battle drills guys really getting knocked around and kind of put in these situations they're going to face in games. So I know that's something that you'll like to hear, yes. uh, but a lot more physicality early on. Yeah, no, because that was really the thing that stood out to me between watching their practices and some of the visiting teams that were coming in. Uh, Minnesota will always stand out in my mind because that was the most physical practice I think I've ever seen any team uh, do. Um, but yes, that was certainly something that was missing from all the Kraken practices. Uh, almost all the Kraken practices that I witnessed really were only ever focused on 
I guess getting the puck out of your own zone into the neutral zone, trying to focus on transition, but it was always just like the same set play over and over and over. And that was just then all of what practice or a morning skate became. Uh, where I think this is something that's going to really benefit the Kraken throughout the course of the season. You know, we talk about with guys like Ryan Donato, he's one of those guys that can kind of go and get it for the offense. But there was kind of a lack of consistency when it came to really anybody on the team going and getting the puck, digging it out of the corner in the offensive zone, and then having plays built around that once you do get the puck, right? Like, not just acting kind of surprised. Hey, we got it, and uh, now what do we do? You know what I mean? So I feel like this is a a really nice step forward for the team. I think this is something that we're going to be able to see translate to games a lot more it's a much more common type of situation where you're going to find yourself in these physical board battles or trying to establish yourself in the offensive zone and to do that you need a physical presence so i feel like this is something that is we're going to see you know dividends paid a lot more over the course of the regular season and uh and then i guess as far as the rest of it rj are you telling me that a coaching staff that had like a week and a half with their players before they had to start preseason was just kind of maybe put in a rough situation and and trying to play catch up with everybody all of last year. Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> I think it might be a plausible explanation after watching this year's training camp. Uh, the difference is is just so astounding how how different it is. And I think yeah, it, it's an expansion team. I think in some ways they weren't prepared in some ways they just were put in a rough spot but you're able to do a whole lot more when you have that off season together and that's kind of what we were talking about through the end of last season about how much of an improvement they could make just because you have that familiarity and we'll kind of talk about it later too as far as some of the players talking about it but it makes a big difference and you talked about zone exits too you remember it was those you know zone exits often with no opposition yep and, and that's the big difference because they're still working on the zone exits, but it's one thing to make a good play with the puck. It's another entirely to under duress. Yes. I think we saw that distinction play itself out a lot last season where, oh, that, that zone exit looked good in practice. And then, oh, as soon as there's defenders, they turn it over right in front of the net. Uh, and it seems like the coaching staff has just completely changed how they approach that. All right. No, I think that's uh, a very good way of kicking off this podcast. I think a lot of people are going to be really excited to hear that and um and just you know feel good about a lot of things because you know we know there was lots of we know doing these post games right coaching staff was certainly over the course of the season one of those things that that just came up um a lot as the team struggled so i i think this is a a really good way of, of kicking off the first podcast post the beginning of training camp i think that's a really good thing to to notice uh, but let's go back to the original question, RJ, because I feel like there has to still be a player or two that has stood out to you, and I want to know who they are. Yes, there have been, and the first name that comes to mind uh, is actually Jaden Schwartz. Right. Now, it's easy to forget just how effective of a player he can be, given how much time he missed last season, uh, but honestly, he's looked like one of the best players on the ice most days of camp. He's had that extra jump. I forgot how good his shot is, too. He's got that quick release. It's a really heavy shot for someone his size. It's been super accurate so far through camp. And honestly, coming into camp, I wasn't really looking at him that closely. I was kind of as skeptical as anyone, given his contract and how bad things looked last year. But man, if he stays healthy, 
he is really going to be a factor. He's just kind of jumped up, you know, off the ice out at me as, as I've been looking at everyone. Uh, but he's the guy I've noticed more than anyone. And also they've been putting him on, we'll get this with the line combinations, yeah. putting him on a line with Shane Wright too. Um, and, and Dave Haxtell said about Schwartz, like he's a guy who just fixes any line you put him on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not surprising to see him there with the youngster. So, I mean, we'll get to that a little bit later, but Jaden Schwartz has really impressed me fingers crossed let's hope that he can stay healthy this season uh because if he does he's going to be a big difference maker that is certainly always the question with him but rj do we even need to do anything more for this podcast i feel like if we just cut it off here with coaching staff looks really good and things have improved there and jane schwartz is back and looks fantastic i feel like everybody will just be like awesome let's go best podcast ever (laughs) yep ready for the regular season i've heard what i need to hear that's it All right. Thank you, everybody. And we'll see you all next time. (laughs) Just uh, just go with that. No, that's that's really good to hear. Glad, uh, you know, seems like all the injuries or all of his latest injuries, we'll say, are behind him. uh, And he and he can perform well at camp because, yeah, it, it just never quite felt like we really got to see. The Jaden Schwartz that we knew from St. Louis, right, last season. Um, obviously, in and out of the lineup, there were times where we kind of questioned what his on-ice usage was, just trying to figure out where he slotted in with the system and what the Kraken were trying to do. But at the same time, he was producing as well, if not better, than just about anybody else from just a general point production standpoint. So uh, really, really interested to see what a you know a, a rejuvenated Jaden Schwartz looks like in this you know, rejuvenated lineup and uh, bolstered lineup. I think that's going to be something that's really interesting. And then you said, we'll talk about him uh, playing with Shane Wright in the long, in the line combinations. Let's just go ahead and, and dive right into that because I really, really like that pairing. I, I always like having, you know, a, a very strong, um, you know, physically, but also just veteran presence with a young player like that, especially someone who's going to be 18 trying to break into this league. I, he seems like the perfect fit for Shane Wright. They kind of play a similar style as far as how they like to enter the zone, how they like to go about doing certain things. They're going to maybe both be a little bit more pass first at times. Um, that's something, this is the kind of the first time I, I'm really hearing that, thinking about it, but it makes a lot of sense to me. It does. And I do like kind of how they've set him up and with Shane Wright. Yeah, we'll get the line combos. So uh, first of all, I want to give this, you know, disclaimer, PSA, you know, I think we, you know, we have to mention it. Line combos early in camp don't really mean anything. The coaching staff's usually kind of throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. It'll change a lot. Remember last year we had kind of the Swedish house mafia line, you know, with the three Swedes in training camp. And that was kind of a big sensation. We didn't really see much of them uh, over the course of the regular season. Part of that was injuries. Part of that was COVID, but still uh, a lot of potential for change here. Just want to throw that out there, but there definitely have been some combos that the team has stuck with over the past week because they are trying some things and you get an idea of at least kind of pairs of guys uh, that they're putting together. And one of those is Shane Wright and Jaden Schwartz. Uh, and I think, like you mentioned, that's a really good fit. Shane Wright, the veteran presence there. And I mean, sorry, Jaden Schwartz, the veteran presence there with Shane Wright. Thank you. Shane Wright, the rookie. Um, and they've had those two together for pretty much all of camp on, on the line. Uh, they had Cole Lind paired with them earlier on in camp can maybe kind of a you know 
third to fourth line type of thing projected with it. Coland, of course, no no guarantee to make the roster. But then as Shane Wright looked a little bit better over the later days of camp, uh, they moved Jordan Eberle onto that line. So you've got Schwartz, Wright, and Eberle. So that sounds like a really good line to me. Some real good veteran leadership. We talked about uh, the chemistry last year between Schwartz and Eberle mm -hmm. and putting Wright between those two. That's a position for him to succeed. It really is. It'll take a lot of pressure off of him in a, a couple different ways. Because, you know, 18-year-old coming in, trying to break into this league, you got a couple things that you have to worry about. One, physical. Physically, right? How how well can he, you know, withstand the beating that is an NHL schedule? How strong is he going to be on his skates? Obviously, Shane is not a small guy, but it's still, it's, you know, next level. You're going to have to go up against defensemen that are 6'5", 250, right sometimes you're gonna have to figure out how you're going to do that um so that's that's certainly the the first thing that always comes to mind when you have an 18 year old coming in i feel like Jaden schwartz being out there with you helps out a lot there because he's gonna go to the net he's gonna drive the net do all that stuff pull those bigger bodies away from you give you a little bit of breathing room uh when it comes to that sort of stuff and then having somebody like jordan everly potentially with shane right that also helps give Shane Wright some breathing room in the sense that he's really the sniper of that line that defenses are going to have to respect. They're going to have to make sure he isn't getting lost anywhere in the slot or with any sort of open ice because they know how dangerous Jordan Eberle can be in a situation like that. So I really like just having two veterans with him, two kind of savvy players with him, but I think that it's going to help out a lot when it comes to just giving Shane Wright that extra second or two that all new players to the NHL need uh, when when entering the league just because they're going to be drawing so much coverage given the way that they play. So that is certainly something that I could see, you know, being a theme since it all seems to be working so far. We'll see as the preseason games get underway because that'll be really the, the first test for it. But that is certainly a line combo that I could see starting the season. Uh, just to help Shane Wright ease into the NHL. And I think that, you know, as we'll talk about these other lines, I, I think that kind of makes sense also just for where everybody could slot into this lineup. It does make sense. And kind of working our way through the lineup here, uh, the Schwartz-Wright-Everly line is a result of a change that was made on another line. So um, it started off training camp. They're going with McCann, Gord, and Everly. Now, that's, that's a pretty stacked line, it feels like, from guys who were there last season. Uh, McCann and Gord had that experience playing together. That's kind of the pair that they've gone with. A lot of times, NHL coaches, they'll have their line of three guys, but really they'll have these pairs that they like together, mm -hmm. and they'll kind of move around the third guy on a line with that pair. I think we do see that a lot. Yeah. Uh, and McCann and Gord are clearly one of those pairs that Haxel's identified. Uh, so it was McCann, Gord, ever, and then I think... He decided, hey, we want to move Everly onto that right line. That's kind of where it makes sense for him for all the reasons we talked about. And so now it's McCann, Gord, and Kuhlman. So Carson Kuhlman on that line. And that should be no surprise. Uh, Yanni Gord and Carson Kuhlman was kind of another pair that we yeah. saw a lot last season. Yanni loves Carson's game. He calls it predictable, and he uses that in, the, in a good sense. You know, he plays that north-south game, and Yanni loves to play with players who play that way. Um, Kuhlman, you know, Brandon Tanev's another one. Um, Austin Zarnick, when they had him around briefly. But there's a certain profile of player that Yanni Gord plays really well with, uh, and Kuhlman fits that. So that line just makes sense to me. Yeah, it makes sense in a lot of different ways, because you can see that as kind of like a I don't know, a, a checking line plus 
in a way, right? You're talking about a lot mm-hmm. of guys that are also very, very solid defensively. Uh, obviously, Yanni Gord, his defensive exploits, very well known from his Tampa days and what he was able to do for them on their Stanley Cup runs that he was there for. Uh, Carson Kuhlman, I thought, played well with Gord. All the things you just said uh, kind of fit in with that. And then Jared McCann was also, at times, one of the Kraken's better defensive options at forward last season. So having him there, uh, you know, playing on the wing of, of Gord, I think that's you know, that could sneakily turn into the, their kind of shutdown line. I could really see that for the Kraken moving forward. So I, I like that line combo. And then, of course, there is offensive potential there, right? You've got the speed of Kuhlman. You've got just the smart, heady game of Yanni Gord. And then, obviously, we all know what a sniper Jared McCann could be. So I could see that being um, one of those lines that, you know, some games really shows up offensively and we're all like, wow, this is everything's like going. And then other games, maybe they get lost in the shuffle a little bit from, you know, looking at just the box score, but watching the game, they can make a huge, you know, impact shutting down some opposing team's top player. I could kind of see that being the role of this line, especially because, you know, if Shane Wright, Shane Wright's line is kind of the third line as far as ice time. Probably not going to give the 18-year-old starting his NHL career the responsibility of, hey, we got to play Connor McDavid tonight. Go take care of that for <laughs> us, right? Might be might be better to have a line with with guys like McCann or Yanni Gord on it to to handle those responsibilities at least out of the gate. So, uh, really, really liking that line. And then that leaves the question of who's playing with Maddie. And I guess process of elimination. Is it the new guys, I would I would say? Are we seeing the Killer Bees? No, we're not seeing the Killer oh. Bees yet. Only one of them. So this is interesting. And we did talk about this in the offseason. But here's the first, what we think is the first line with Maddie Beniers. Ryan Donato, okay. Maddie Beniers, and then Oliver Bjorkstrand. So right. we talked about Ryan Donato maybe having that opportunity with Beniers. And it seems like he's getting it. That group... They've looked good in drills. The chemistry seems there already between Donato and Veneers. And um, I think they've played really well so far. You know, it's just through drills and everything. We'll see what the preseason brings. But this is an audition for Ryan Donato. He is getting that chance. And we'll see if he earns it. We'll see if he keeps it. Because you know there's going to be like maybe Andre Burakovsky, someone else competing for a spot on that line. Uh, but Donato's getting it so far. Yeah, no, that is interesting. I mean, obviously, we do know from last season, Beniers and Donato looked very good together. Uh, there was no doubts about that. There was it was obvious chemistry between the two of them. Um, Donato always kind of seemed to be there where like Maddie wanted to naturally look when he had the puck. Um, Donato was kind of always, you know, found a soft spot in the defense to, to hang out in where where Maddie could get him the puck. So that's not totally uh, unsurprising. And then as I talked about just kind of from the beginning of the podcast, right? Donato, one of those guys we think of when it comes to the more physical elements, the dump and chase, the ability to go and get the puck, uh, to have someone like that on the line, uh, makes sense. And then, uh, Bjorkstrand, I'm unsurprised by too. I think I talked about this when they first got him. He seems like a natural fit for, uh, Matty Beniers. They both very smart players. They both kind of like to float around, dance around the offensive zone, not necessarily pick, you know, kind of one definitive spot to hang out in. I think uh, Bjorkstrand, 
the 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 style of cycle Maddie likes to do, especially as the puck carrier. Bjorkstrand fits in very well with that. He can kind of slide wherever, uh, whether it be net front, out in the slot, maybe off to the side for a one timer. So I I kind of always felt like Bjorkstrand was going to be a good match for for Maddie Beniers. But yeah, that is that is interesting because yes, the the obvious question after that is, oh, are we we gonna sign Burakovsky to go play on the fourth line? Probably not. So this is where your disclaimer really comes in, uh, into focus a little bit. Right, and I think we see guys who we would certainly expect to be playing higher than they are or expect to be, I mean, even on the opening day roster, playing with guys who, you know, are either AHL type of guys. We'll, we'll see that when we get to Brandon Tanev a little bit later on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, so the, you know, quote unquote, fourth line that we've seen is Andre Burakovsky, Alex Wenberg, and Jonas Donskoy. Now those should all be regulars in the lineup, uh, but it's probably lower than you'd expect Burakovsky to be playing. You could definitely see him slotted in that Donato place. Um I think they're just trying to test out some chemistry there. Um, I think kind of the pairing is Burakovsky and Wenberg that they're testing out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's the Swedish familiarity. Uh, maybe it's it's something else. You know, maybe it's it's Wenberg's ability to be a playmaker to dish bucks out, uh, and Burakovsky's ability to shoot and to to finish plays. Uh, we've seen it work on the power play, which we'll get to a little bit later. But uh, that's the line they've been going with. I, what do you think of that one? It, it is an interesting line. I- it's it does make sense in that all three of those players have a little bit more of the European East West style of game mm-hmm. to 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 them uh, as far as how they like to work in the offensive zone stuff like that. So in that sense, I I get it from a stylistic standpoint. Matching those three guys together makes sense. I I'm a little uncertain about the Burakovsky-Wenberg pairing because I feel like at times Burakovsky, what he's excelling at is being a really good distributor on the wing, right? And as we all know from last season, Wenberg really wants to be a distributor. (laughs) To a fault at times, uh, that is what he wants to do. And so one of the things I was really intrigued by the Burakovsky signing was this idea of, hey, we could kind of have one of those unique playmaking guys off on the wing, that could be something that's really interesting to pair with uh, Maddie Beneers if you want Maddie to start being more of a finisher. And maybe that's not a this year type of thing, that's like a next year type of thing. But that was one of the things that really intrigued me about bringing in somebody like Burakovsky. So I guess my initial reaction to it is just, I don't, like, who who is going to shoot the puck is Burakovsky really committed to being more of a finisher, uh, you know, when it's five on five, not just special teams? And is he going to be that guy, you know, when playing with Wenberg? Or are we going to kind of see a line that, you know, maybe can do some incredible passing back and forth, but maybe holds on to the puck just a little bit too long? Exactly. Burakovsky would have to be the finisher on that line between Wenberg and then Donskoy, who... Um... Passed up a lot of shots too last season. Yep. Uh, we didn't talk about it as much, but, but that was also something that uh, that troubled him. So, yeah, it, it would have to be a clear finisher there. I could see this one changing most easily. Yes. I, I don't think this one's going to stay together. No, I, I agree with that. That that feels like something as they were trying out, you know, maybe other matchings and other pairings, really trying to figure out those pairings, and then they'll figure out who kind of slots around those. That's that's kind of where this this feels to me. Um, okay, what about uh, defensively? 
What are we, what are we seeing defensive pairing wise? So given what we're seeing as far as the D pairings, uh, first of all, there's nothing I really want to read into as far mm-hmm. as pairings because you've had some of the the prospects also there. Yeah. Uh, the, the Dunn-Larson pairing that we know quite well has been broken up into these two pairings, and I think this is interesting. Uh, Riker Evans and Adam Larson. Okay. And then Vince Dunn and Ty Nelson. Now, maybe this is kind of future thinking, yeah. right? You know, In a few years, maybe we see those two pairings, but there is no way those happen this year. No. Uh, so it's not anything we're going to see this season. Stylistically, it works, right? Because Riker yeah. Evans, kind of, you know, a Vince Dunn type player. Ty Nelson, kind of an Adam Larson type player. You would hope he projects out to be. Um, so yeah, I, I see why they're doing that. Uh, but as far as some of these other pairings, um, you usually have a guy who I think, okay, he's probably not going to be in the top six. Paired with a guy who, yes, he probably will be in the top six. Uh, we saw a little bit of Susie Borgen. Uh, but then that changed up. A lot of the D pairs have been rotating because they have an odd number as well. Yeah. So I'm going to hold off on judging any of the D pairs right now. Yeah, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it, it also would make sense of if we're going to continue to see Dunn Larson, that's a known quantity. They know how to play together. You know exactly what you have. Those guys make the most sense as far as the pairing to break up to play with rookies who, you know, someone like Ty Nelson. What? 0.5% chance he makes this roster, right? Like, like probably not, you know, going to make that jump. Being generous, right away. yeah. Yeah, not, not going to make that jump right away. I think Riker Evans probably going to see some AHL time before he makes that jump. So it makes a lot of sense of if you're going to break up any sort of pairing to, to give a veteran presence to some other guys and kind of teach them some of the tools of the trade, that is definitely the one to get broken up. But, you know, as you said, kind of with all of this, with that disclaimer, it, this is just early, early camp stuff. First week. We haven't seen, you know, preseason games yet. We're going to learn a lot tonight as far as this kind of stuff and then over the rest of the preseason for sure. All right. So moving out of line combos, we've got, I think, something a lot of people are also curious with. Uh, received a lot of talk over the course of last season, and that is, of course, special teams. Not so much the PK, I, you know, just talking about all the names we talked about during the line combos, lots of two-way forwards in there that, that could totally work out on the PK. We just talked about some guys that can, you know, play on uh, defensively on the PK. I think they're fine there. I think what everyone wants to hear about is the power play. And I know that they got in uh, some work yesterday with that uh, based on what you were tweeting out and putting on the Discord. So why don't you go ahead and fill us in on what the latest is on the Kraken power play units. Right, so we got our first look at the two Kraken power play units yesterday. Uh, There was um, nothing on Thursday or Friday. They were kind of working on general stuff. But yesterday, we saw the power play units. So I'll just go ahead and tell you what they were. So on what you'd presume is the first unit, Mm -hmm. they had Alex Wenberg, net front, uh, Andre Burakovsky on the left side boards, Oliver Bjorkstrand in the bumper spot, Matty Beneers on the right side boards, and then uh, Justin Schultz as the power play quarterback there. Uh, So on that first unit, they ran through a few kind of plays that it looked like they were trying to set up. The number one thing I noticed, they kept going to the Beneers one-timer. That was their most common play. That's what they were trying to set up. Of course, Beneers on his off wing there on the right side in one-timer position. Andre Burakovsky not on his off wing because he's a left-hander, so he's on the left side. Uh, Beneers one-timer was kind of the play they were going for. Also working it down low to Alex Wenberg and having him pass it out front. Um, 
that, that was a play they were going for a lot to Burakovsky trying to find that cross team pass to Beniers. Mm-hmm. That was one they were going for. Um, and then, so let's talk about kind of this unit, what everyone brings. Uh, we'll start with Wenberg net front uh, because I like him in that spot. He's been there before over the course of his career. I asked him too about what, you know, what works for him and his skill set there. And he talked about the passing. He said, you know, with the hand-eye coordination, he joked kind of, oh, it needs a little work because I saw him too working on tips out front after practice, just, you know, shot after shot after shot. And he missed a few more than he would have liked, I think. I saw him kind of, you know, a little disappointed about that, but he's like, yeah, I mean, as you could see out there needs a little work, but that's why we work on it. Uh, but yeah, I, I like that spot for him. He kind of sets up behind the net too. Cause that's one of those things that the net front guy can do is he can kind of go behind the net, make those passes out front. I, I tweeted a video of him making a really nice feed to Burkovsky, who was uh, kind of streaking down into the zone. Uh, that's a play I think they could look for a lot. Um, Burkovsky on those left side boards, you talked about earlier him being a distributor. Uh, and trying to get that puck across the seam. I, there's very few players I think would be better to do that than Burakovsky on that side. So I like him there. Bjorkstrand, uh, Apex, I'll talk about just how versatile he is in that spot. And, and he talked about the distinction too, not just be a, a distributor in that spot, but to be a real threat, a shooting threat also. Someone who can score from there and the dimension that it adds to the power play, especially if you're trying to defend it, knowing that, okay, yeah, this bumper guy isn't just going to be trying to move it somewhere else, but he could score himself from there and he's dangerous. So I like Bjorkstrand there. Matty Beneers on the right side. Uh, it seemed like he was struggling a little bit with the one-timers. Uh, didn't quite get all of them uh, on, on most of those one-timer opportunities, but that's something we know he knows how to do. Yeah. Uh, and and he'll, you know, get into the swing of that with a little bit more practice. And then Justin Schultz, uh, interesting to see him there instead of Vince Dunn. I'm sure they might try and flip-flop that, that at some point just to see who works better with that unit. But it shows the trust that they have in Justin Schultz. Ron Francis talked this offseason about feeling like he has that potential to really run and quarterback a power play. He was just stuck behind guys like John Carlson, Chris Letang in Washington and Pittsburgh. And if you give him that opportunity, he looks really good. So uh, I think they plan on giving him every opportunity to earn that spot. Yeah, and I I think they totally should, right? I mean, I thought Vince Dunn did an okay job back there, but as we all know, that power play struggled so much. I don't think anybody's going to kind of have issues with seeing some fresh faces in there just to see if it works a little bit better. Um, Yeah, otherwise, I love everything. Um, So obviously, yeah, Justin Schultz, he's a veteran. He totally knows what he's doing on that back end. I have no concerns about that. Wenberg up front, I do actually kind of like that a lot, um, just because if you, you know, as things break down or as things just get going, if he has to cycle out of being net front a little bit, maybe go behind the net or uh, something like that, or just dip below the goal line a little bit to grab a puck or because he has the puck, I think that would be like kind of a nice thing for him too. If he's not in a position to pick up a rebound and try to jam it home, Go ahead, have him dip out below the goal line there, a little bit more of like an overload look, right? He is such a distributor, he'll be able to find someone open from that spot and give a totally different and unique chance to that power play. So I like the idea of Wenberg being out there with those guys and in a position where he can, you know, move around a little bit and give just completely different looks than really what anybody's used to seeing from a 1-3-1 power play. Uh, just as things break down over the course of play, as it always do does, right? Um, Matty Beneers, 
we saw him kind of in that role for Michigan at times, his final season there with the one-timer on the power play. Looked just fine, scored a lot of goals that way. Not worried about that. My only worry would just be the over-reliance on the idea of a one-timer. We talked about this when we did our deep dives into power play systems. I just, I don't always know that that you have to do it that way. There's a lot of ways of scoring goals beyond just one-timers from a face-off dot. Um, but that's a, you know, that's a whole different discussion. Uh, I, I do think Maddie is the most capable person for that, though just from, you know, shot accuracy and speed standpoint. Burkowski, like you said, distributor, really like him in that role. The Bjorkstrand one is interesting because I feel like Bjorkstrand is the best suited to be the bumper. I think as all as of all the guys that the Kraken really have, I could see him being potentially the only guy who's able to make that work as far as being boxed in by four defenders, you know, with very little time and space. But just his ability to kind of work around, his ability to always find a way to get behind defenders, even if he isn't able to get behind defenders, just the fact that he could pull somebody out of position because he's going to dip a little lower, play a little higher up in the slot. You know what I mean? He's going to change how the PK has to work uh, just based on what he wants to do because he is not going to just sit there in the middle and just kind of take up space. You know, the way a lot of bumper guys tend to do. That is not who he is. That is not who he was in Columbus last year when he was so effective on the power play. And so I, I really like that. I think he's going to be able to open up some of those passing lanes from a Burakovsky across to Beniers in a way that we were, you know, nobody was really able to open up those lanes last year for the Kraken, right? We never were able to see those cross-ice passes get across. I think Bjorkstrand and just the way he plays and the way the defenses are going to have to respect him is going to open up those lanes from time to time. And then once play breaks down, once there's a rebound out front, you know Bjorkstrand is going to be there for it. He lives for opportunities like that. The one thing I want to talk about with it, one last thing, is and I meant to mention this when we talked about those power play systems back in, on that podcast, and I'll bring it up here. Is at the World Juniors that we saw the August World Juniors. What what fun that was! <laughs> when Canada was running their power play, they had Connor Bedard in the bumper spot, right? But what they did was they really they made him their one timer option, and they did that by having him play really high up in the slot, not really in the traditional bumper role where he's kind of in that middle slot. He played really high up in the slot because then he was really only working against the two forward penalty killers. And he was able to get a lot of one-timers there. And that was really what Canada wanted to be doing through a lot of that tournament. And I wonder if we'll see something similar with the Kraken with a Bjorkstrand there. Because I could see him being able to play a little higher up in the slot, become more of a shooting option for them. Um, just sometimes just as a different look. It's one of those things of throw these different looks out there against opposing team. And then once they start trying to prepare for that, you can do something else. And that's where the versatility of Bjorkstrand comes in. But I wonder if we'll see something like that with the Kraken this year. I'd like to see a wrinkle like that. And early on, you know, I think, what does he see? Four of these five guys on the top unit uh, did not play more than 10 games for the Kraken last year. Yeah. Uh, so it's a pretty new unit. And and Dave Axel mentioned that too. Look like this is, this is very early. A lot of these guys haven't played together before. Uh, so we did see just kind of some very basic, classic one, three, one power play stuff, but 
Those are the kind of things that you can add over the course of training camp, over the course of the season. I would like to see something like that with Bjorkstrand. They have a lot of possibilities with these guys. For sure. So uh, that was the the seeming first unit power play, RJ. What are what are we looking at second unit wise? All right, second unit, we've got Jaden Schwartz net front, which is a spot we saw, saw him at last season when he was healthy. Uh, Jared McCann on the left side boards. Jordan Eberle in the bumper spot. Shane Wright on the right side boards. And Vince Dunn quarterbacking that power play. So early impressions from that one. And again, it was just a little bit yesterday, but I wasn't as impressed with that unit. One thing you may notice right off the bat is uh, neither wing is on their offside. So Jared McCann, a lefty on the left side, Shane Wright, right-handed on the right side. So they didn't have any one-timer options as you would expect from a one-three-one power play. And because of that, it just didn't look like they knew what chance they were trying to create. They kind of just kept passing the puck around the perimeter, not exactly sure what to do. Uh, so I think that's something that either you need to work on or you need to move people around. But what do you think of that unit and, and that interesting choice to have uh, no one-timer option? Yeah, well, I like the fact that you're not going to be over-reliant on a one-timer option, right? That That's very much on brand for me. Uh, but at the same time, I don't like at least where they have McCann and Wright. Uh, I talked about it a little bit on Discord yesterday with with everybody, but I think those two need to to swap places. So obviously, I, and I know that might sound sacrilegious to some, based on how you know there were many times where on the power play, Jared McCann was the only thing that that was making things happen, and it was always from that kind of high up, not quite playing the point, not quite getting down into the slot, but that kind of unique setup that that McCann would have sometimes last year on the left side and his ability to snipe from there was you know sometimes the only way the Kraken were ever going to see a power play goal but I feel like that is that same spot that kind of unique positioning is where Shane Wright sees the ice the best and this is something that you know I had noticed just watching all of his tape from back when I did his scouting report and stuff for the for the channel was Shane Wright loves to enter the zone on the left side he loves to hold up there, wait for his line mates to enter the zone, and then he slowly starts working towards the middle, but he likes to play up high, kind of above that face-off circle. That's really where his vision is the best. That's where he's the most comfortable. So I think if he's going to be playing on the power play as an 18-year-old, I think that's where I would want him first and foremost because he has a good shot. I'm not sure it's like a... it's gonna ever be like a great one-timer power play option kind of shot that's not really what it is uh, he's more of like a quick release kind of guy so I want to see him in a place where he's going to see the ice a lot where he feels very comfortable and where he can make plays after being given the time and space that he's going to have being on a power play um, and then you have McCann then go over to the right side where he's playing offside. He can get his one-timer going. We know Jared McCann has a strong one-timer. He can make things work from there. He can also just snipe it from there. I feel like McCann is the more versatile option, at least at this point in their careers. Um, so I would rather see McCann over there as the one-timer threat and getting Shane Wright in a place where he's most comfortable and he can utilize his vision and his passing ability to the best of its abilities, certainly as he's kicking off his NHL career. Right. So I, I think that's a, another unit that maybe they could switch around a little bit. Uh, one notable absence there too is Yanni Gord. Yes. 
And he's someone who we saw a lot in the power play last season just because he was one of the most talented players on the roster. Uh, but he was not working on these power play units. Uh, that's someone you could also maybe switch out somewhere uh, that, that create could create a little different look too. Yeah, and you know that's one of those things where I could see him kind of fill in for Shane Wright on that second unit, playing on that right side. We know we saw Yanni there a lot last year on the power play. Um, I could I could see that kind of being a thing. Like once the season gets underway, they're not quite gonna get you know have Shane Wright doing that as he's focused on just getting used to the NHL. You know, so maybe that's why Wright's there uh, in the first place. It is a lot to take in. Yeah. So we'll we'll see as things get going. Um, a- anything to talk about PK wise? I, I didn't mean to just like blow it off at the beginning of that. <laughs> I just know power play. A lot of people wanted to hear about it. All good. No, the PK is pretty much what you'd expect. Uh, I think Yanni Gordon, Carson Kuhlman was that that top forward pairing, and then uh, you know Larson. They, again, they split up Dunn and Larson. Yeah. You know, you've got those pairs, but it's pretty much what you'd expect on the PK. They just have so many good penalty killers. Uh, I, I think we're in for a good year on the PK. Awesome, awesome, good to hear. So now I think uh, kind of the last like deeper section that we'll go into here as far as what you know, the fan base is going to be really curious about. And that is the young guys in Matty Beneers and Shane Wright. So obviously kind of two different, uh, they're in different places as far as things go. Maddie's going to come in, be a, one of the Calder favorites, um, really looking for a big year from him, potential, you know, starting top line centerman, all that kind of stuff. And then Shane Wright, who seems like the organization is very committed to giving him this opportunity to crack the roster and not just get nine games in maybe, but stick around for a full season. Obviously there's a lot that remains to be seen there. Um, But you know, kind of where, where are these two young guys at the future cornerstones of this franchise? How did they look through rookie camp and then into training camp, RJ? We'll start with Matty Beniers. And I mean, he kind of looked, as you'd expect, head and shoulders above everybody else in rookie camp. Yeah. No contest. I mean, just not even close. He was the best one on the ice. And he also kind of took that leadership role, too, though. Uh, he worked with some of the younger rookies in camp and, and was good at kind of giving pointers, especially it looked like taking Shane right under his wing a little bit, working on faceoffs together after practice, things like that. I mean, it's exactly what you'd expect from Matty Veneers. I, I feel like we probably won't talk a ton about him just because he is what you think he is. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then when it got to training camp, still one of the best, if not the best player on the ice, um, exactly what you think you know, winning puck battles in the corner, uh, just the great, uh, awareness, you know, and any kind of defensive play active stick, breaking up pucks, making good passes, uh, just clearly one of the most talented players, if not the most talented on the team uh, and playing like it. One thing I do want to mention with him though, um, the coaching staff has been doing bag skates uh, after the last uh, or the first couple days of training camp. Now, for those of you who don't know what a bag skate is, uh, you skate all the way from one end of the ice, up the ice, all the way from one end down the ice. Then you take a really quick breather and then go do it again until you feel like your legs are going to fall off. Uh, And it's a real good conditioning test. Um, you kind of see who's in shape, who's not. Dave Haxtell was watching. He had a stopwatch in his hand. He was timing everybody. Uh, and so you see really who's best conditioned. And Matty Beneers was far and away 
best of his group. You know, they were in like four little groups so they don't take up the whole ice together. But yeah, I mean, he was several player lengths ahead of anyone else in his group. So he came to camp very well conditioned. We know that. Uh, how many times do I have to say, as you'd expect yes. uh, from Matty Beneers. Uh, but yeah, just get ready for, for another good season for him. Yes, he will have some challenges. Dave Haxtell mentioned, you know, as much that, yeah, guys are going to know who he is. He's going to have a bigger role. He's going to have to face those challenges. But he said with his mental maturity, he's going to be in a position to really take that spot. So um, I think we're looking at 1C Matty Beneers, just like we've been talking about. Awesome. I, I love to hear it. And yeah, we saw that just from his, you know, little 10 game sample size last season. He was able to extend shifts in a way not a lot of people in general, you know, NHL players can do uh, just elite level conditioning there. Love, love to see it, especially from those two way guys. That ability to get up the ice on an <laughs> offensive opportunity. Things don't go the way you want it to. You got to get back quick. Uh, really important skill to have. All right. So Shane Wright then. What what are, what was Shane Wright looking like? So with Shane Wright, I kind of have a lot to talk about here, more more than with Beniers, because yeah. I feel like there's a lot more talk around Shane Wright too. And I kind of want to separate it uh, into on ice and off ice portion of yeah. this, because I think there's a lot to say on both ends. Um, so we'll start with rookie camp. So I think he had, I would say, a somewhat rough two days of rookie camp. Um, you know, you were there with me at Dev Camp, right? Yeah. And I'd say that it was pretty much what we saw there. Uh, and, you know, that's not necessarily frustration or anything, but just, I don't know, not necessarily winning pucks and drills, just a little bit of mm-hmm. sloppiness, right? Some turnovers that that you'd think are uncharacteristic, things like that against the rookies. And it made me think, you know, okay, let's, you know, let's see what training camp brings, but it, he's got to be better. Yeah. Um, and then on day one of actual training camp, I'm watching him and for some reason he actually looked better against the vets than he does against the rookies. And it, it kind of confused me, uh, you know, on, on day one, cause it just looked like a different player and, and maybe it's the higher level of competition playing up to it. Uh, I don't know, but he, he didn't have any real wow plays that day or anything, but it was enough that I gave him a quick mention on my recap video. I just said like, Hey guys, really, he looks better against the vets than the rookies. So I don't know what's up with that. We'll see what happens. Uh, and then on day two, he looked even better than that. I mentioned there was a lot of contact in these drills, a lot of battle type drills, the way the coaching staff's running things now. And all of a sudden, you know, he was engaged. He was winning physical battles. He had an active stick, you know, breaking up passes defensively. And of course he caps it off with the winning goal in the scrimmage with 10 seconds left on the clock on a laser wrist shot that, that beats Grubauer high goal side. I tweeted the video of that for everyone to see. Um, so I, I'm talking a lot. I want to give you a little pause uh, just to give you a chance to re- repeat what you said about Shane Wright from your scouting video, because I want everyone to hear this again about his unconventional release and how it kind of fools goalies, because as evidence there, his shot, is, especially that deceptive release, are really mm-hmm. special. Yeah, I think I referred, I'm trying to remember like the, the exact wording I used for it in the scouting video, um, but basically it looks like he's pushing the puck. And like, obviously, you know, in any shot, right, like you're, you're accelerating the puck and you're pushing it away from you, but his literally looks like he is pushing it in that his, he's, he's twisting 
his whole body. He's not snapping his wrists like you're used to seeing from a normal player. Rather, he's generating momentum by twisting his whole upper body and keeping his arms relatively in, in the same, you know, he's not breaking his wrists like most players do. Uh, and so it kind of creates this weird, like there's like this kind of gap between his stick and the puck. It's like a, about an inch wide. And then he closes that distance with his whole body and just kind of rips it. And it gives it this totally different sense and feel that goaltenders kind of have to figure out because there's not a lot that you can key off of, right? You're trying to goaltender, you're looking at like the stick blade, trying to see how open it is to see how high is this shot going to be? Uh, where, where is like the face of the, of the stick blade really pointed? So I can kind of figure out where this is going at first. And this feels very much almost old school in a way, right back before like really curves on a stick were a thing. And guys just kind of did those, you know, kind of, half in between slap shots and a wrist shot kind of just you know throw throw their body into it and try to make something happen because the equipment wasn't quite up for it and that's that's almost what it reminds me of um but yes it's just this deceptive you know it's hard for a goaltender to get a read off of it when you're seeing space between the puck and the stick right before the release and then the next thing you know the puck's on its way you can't really gauge based off of what the stick blade's doing necessarily because he's already started a a follow-through that you're not used to seeing with it so uh it's definitely a deceptive thing it totally works for him and i said this in the scattered report it works it looks you know unconventional it is not anything you'd ever see in a video for young hockey players of this is how you should, you know, shoot the puck, but it, it works. And so, you know, I hope he doesn't ever change it and nobody tries to make him change it because it works so well for him. But yes, it is, it is a very unique thing. I just, you know, watch it, everybody. You'll see what I'm talking about. It's kind of hard to put into words, but it's, it is definitely different than what you're going to see from anybody else. And it totally had Grubauer fooled on that play. He just could not track that puck. It was something kind of different than what he was used to seeing. Uh, so it was cool to see him really uh, unleash that and let that shot go. And it created this highlight reel moment that everyone remembered, uh, you know, from that day of training camp because it kind of capped things off. It was the scrimmage was before the bag skate, the last thing of the day. Uh, so we did get a chance to talk to Dave Haxtell too after that scrimmage and, and talking about Shane Wright and he earned brave reviews from that day from the coaching staff. And that's something that's very important to hear because ultimately they're kind of the ones in charge of whether he sticks, whether he doesn't. Um, so I was interested to see what, what Dave had to say about right in his day. And he said that, you know, while that goal is what everyone is going to remember from that day of training camp, all the fans, that's what they're going to remember. He said, I remember a whole lot more. He talked about uh, his physical toughness battling in those corners, like I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, he talked about his ability to distribute the puck, things like that. The, the the smaller things that coaches really look at and want to see from a player to judge if they're mature enough to play at that level. And it sounds like he ticked all those boxes too. You know, we know he's got a good shot. We know he can do offensively, uh, but. The, the eye test for me matched, I guess, what Haxtell saw, too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's got to be a good sign as far as, you know, his chances of making the roster and of sticking this year. And you look at the next day of training camp, they move Jordan Eberle onto his line. You know, it's a little mm -hmm. bit more serious of a line there with Shane Wright. So, you know, I don't know how much we can really read into that, but clearly the coaching staff is impressed to this point from what he's done on the ice. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that you want to reward that effort for a young guy, build that confidence, continue to... to help him grow and, and succeed. Um, it, it sounds like a little bit, you know, I talked about this after dev camp 
uh, back in July when that happened. And it was, you know, Shane Wright looked like he was trying too much. He was trying to be, you know, the big fish in the little pond and, and kind of put on a show for all the fans that were there for it and do all that stuff, kind of live up to being, wow, I'm, I was just their first round pick. I got to come in and try to, you know, really show off and everything. And, and it felt like in those moments was when we were seeing the uncharacteristic turnovers and all of the struggles from him. And I said it at the time of, look, I want to see how he does at training camp where he's going to be the little fish in the very big pond because that's where you could see him maybe fall back more on his instincts. He's got to just kind of play his game. He's going to be... Um, He's going to be more focused on absorbing knowledge and information and all of those things. And he's going to have less time to have to think overthink on what he's doing because that's what so much of dev camp looked like. And it sounds like that trend continued through rookie camp. But then once got to training camp, you know, it's a very different situation. He's not feeling like he has to be in a leadership role like he probably did through the rookies. You know what I mean? Um, so. Yeah, uh, very interested. I think the preseason games are going to be the thing that tells us a lot because he's going to have to go up against third, fourth line guys on these opposing teams that are trying to make rosters. These are guys that have probably been around in the NHL at times for a few seasons. They tend to be the more you know physical guys. They're trying to make a name for themselves. Of course, you're going to want to go out there and try and test yourself against this 18-year-old. Let him know it's not going to be that easy to come into the NHL. I think those are going to be the ones that are going to be huge as far as whether or not Wright's going to be able to make this Kraken roster. If he can stand up to them physically, beat them at times on the ice, not physically, but you know, in overall play, uh, I, I think that's going to be... a uh, the really big and key sign as to whether or not he can play in the NHL this year. That'll start on Tuesday against Calgary. He's not playing tonight, uh, but presume he'll play on Tuesday. And like you said against some maybe third, fourth liners. We're trying to make the roster on a Daryl Sutter coach team. Yep. So <laughs> you're going to see some challenges there and, and we'll see how Shane deals with that. Um, now I kind of covered Shane right on the ice, but I also want to talk about Shane off the ice too, because mm -hmm. I think there's been a lot of noteworthy stuff there as well. And first of all, I, I kind of feel lucky to be able to cover it because I, I, one thing I want to talk about is it's just, it's so rare to see a consensus number one pick, you know, growing up, that was pretty much, he was going to be the number one pick in his year in this sport, in hockey with so much personality. Yep. Like just about everybody who grows up in that spotlight, be it Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, John Tavares, you know, whoever you want to talk about, Nathan McKinnon, nothing wrong with them, but let's admit They're they boring. tend to be a bit robotic. Okay, boring. There you boring. go. You'll you'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, whether it's what we saw from that draft day documentary, I know I'm not talking about the alleged stare down that he's denied multiple times. I mean, the real emotions that he felt as he kind of rode that roller coaster of falling to four. And he was talking to his dad through all of that and, and just kind of processing it all. But you could really see how he felt like, um, you know, it's something that he kind of just hid and was like, you know, robotic about it. Or more recently, you know, the Kraken country. Let's glide. I, you know, riffing off the that corny Russell Wilson video. I mean, you know, Seattle fans have got to love that. You know, Shane Wright, he's going to be himself. He's going to put his personality out there. And while we might not think twice about that, if we were, say, covering basketball or football, it is so rare in hockey and especially rare for a top young player. Um, you know, I just want to acknowledge kind of how lucky we are to be seeing this. And I think we continue to see it, you know, as the season goes on. Um, but just some really fun moments from Shane. I, 
Dylan, I, I got to hear your comments on the hey crap country. Let's glide. Uh, I absolutely love that because it's. I mean, it's there's an awareness there of of what's going on. Uh, I guess we could talk about that because then there there was another time where the Kraken uh, TikTok caught him unaware yes. of kind of what's going on. Uh, so I'll get to that in a sec. But but absolutely love to see it. Love the commitment to it. It I am unsurprised given covering him back at development camp and and all the opportunities uh, we had as the media to talk with him and communicate with him. He was always so relaxed in a situation that you are not accustomed to seeing guys relaxed in. Um, and he just really seemed to be enjoying himself through that whole process. I'm sure it's the exact same thing here where he just, he feels lucky to be there. He's going to appreciate every moment of it and really try to live in the present and soak it all in um, because of he understands how special it is and just how happy he is to be there. Uh, so I'm, I'm really happy to, to hear all that stuff. And yes, happy that he was at least aware of that one because boy, was he completely unprepared for, for Kraken PR to ask him about corn. Uh, he kind of made that TikTok though, not, not knowing anything with, with, about the, the corn boy and all that kind of stuff going on, not knowing that it has the juice as he just kind of, yeah, corn, it's good. It's, it's one of the better tasting. Starts vegetables. going into the nutritional benefits. Yeah, and everything. He's trying to give a good answer. He's trying to give a good answer. It was clear he didn't know what was going on. He was trying to, you know, make the most of that situation. Uh, so props to him for that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was. It, it really made that that video for me. <laughs> it really did. No, I, I had to go look at it a few times to see it all. All his answers, but I mean, that's the really fun stuff that, that we're going to see from him. And again, just rare to see that from a top pick. Yeah, uh, I think the Kraken really have something special there. And you know, before we kind of move off of Shane Wright, in slightly more serious tone here because we were having fun. But I, I do want to address some of the things that we've been hearing really since draft day. Yeah, mostly out of Montreal, but some some echoes around the league too about Shane Wright and you know perceived character issues because watching him and not just his body language on the ice, but really seeing him behind the scenes in the locker room, talking with teammates. You know, we have locker room access now too. I mean, that's one of the great things about some of these COVID restrictions ending. You can really see the players kind of more unfiltered too. Uh, but seeing him around, walking around the facility, all this stuff. There's a lot of stuff I see out there on the internet that just couldn't be further from the truth. And I'll kind of finish it off by telling a story that I just tweeted about a couple days ago, but I think deserves to be repeated on here because I mean, it's just a great story, but Kraken had been doing an autograph session after training camp. And on Friday, Shane was picked as kind of the player to go sign. And I saw him leave the locker room to go do that. I had to stay behind to just talk to someone for a bit. And so when I end up leaving the locker room and I'm walking away, I see Shane over at the table signing autographs and he greets another fan. I notice, you know, there's some gesturing or something. And then Shane gets up and just starts running right by me back to the locker room. And I'm thinking, okay, what's, what's going on? I don't think anything's wrong because Shane looks happy, but you know, okay, that's weird. Why is he running back? So I stick around the table and Shane comes back with a stick, which he then signs for the fan. And then as the fan tries to say, thank you, I, I kind of realized, Oh, okay. Th this, this fan is deaf. He's kind of signing to Shane and he was just overjoyed with the stick. I mean, just trying to express his gratitude, however he can. I, you know, I don't think Shane knows ASL or anything, but you know, he even gives the fan a hug. Um, and please check out the photos on Twitter. If you haven't already, um, you know, I tweeted this, it got some traction, but it absolutely made this guy's day. And I think that's Shane didn't have to go do that. 
and and you know he's just it's an autograph session and he just sees this fan who's so excited to see him pops right up from his seat runs back to the locker room to grab this guy's stick signs it for him i mean it's it's the kind of thing that i've seen from him just consistently since even uh since uh, dev camp you know making a connection with these fans with this fan base um you know for some of these drills on the glass like yesterday there were little kids who were kind of you know up on there waving to him you know all the other players are kind of locked in but he took a second just you know to wave to the little kid and you know it made that kid's day and just seeing all that stuff Shane Wright he's he's just a great guy behind the scenes as as disappointing as that might be to some people um you know i i just i can confirm he's he's doing everything right both, you know off the ice and and i feel like they need, they need to say something about that because i just see a lot out there that that's just characterizing him so wrong so i, I had to mention that i was gonna say you're taking away so many montreal uh, media people's narrative rj how could you they're fellow media people too they're just trying to make a living doing this job rj They'll find something else to talk about, believe me. Yeah, I, I can imagine. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's really a lot of fun. He's he's a fantastic guy. Like I said, you just get that sense the first time you talk with him. You you get that that sense from him. Uh, so so really happy that you have that story to share and that we can try to fight that narrative. I'll go on the record right now and say long term. Maddie Beniers is going to turn into our like Captain Serious kind of guy, and Shane Wright's going to be the fun one. As far as like those franchise cornerstones, like you can already see that that's kind of you know long term how this is going to play out. I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking about that dynamic the other day, and I wanted to talk to you about it too. It feels like there's always a you know a captain serious, and then a you know kind of a more fun one when you have these you know great two franchise cornerstones. We've seen it so often uh, in the NHL, and it's already lining up perfectly for that for the Kraken. Yeah. Yeah, and it might be, you know, they're going to put a little unique twist on it. Like, you know, Maddie knew that Corn has the juice, right? Like, Maddie's an aware guy. <laughs> he's a smart guy, but he, but he's going to play it off cool every time, and he's not going to, like, dive into it, where with Shane, he's going to be a little bit more personable always, but even when he doesn't really know what's going on, he's going to make things happen, and he's going to be enjoyable in that way too. You know what I mean? And so uh, I just think we're going to have a lot of fun uh with both of them long term i think it's going to be really really fun um all right so why don't we as we you know get to the end of the podcast here rj let's just go through some some quick hits so to speak about training camp got to talk about brandon tanev it's kind of amazing we haven't touched on him yet so far but it just goes to show how much there was to talk about when it comes to training camp turbo is back and based on all things i was hearing from you and everybody from camp it sounds like he's like all the way back he says he's 100%. He has no restrictions on that knee after knee surgery last year. We saw him skating in kind of those informal captain scrimmages uh, while rookie camp was going on. And then he's been a full participant in training camp. No red jersey, nothing like that. He's been running on the, all the drills. Now, I will say, I, I do think to an extent he's still kind of ramping things up. Mm -hmm. uh, he's been on lines with some guys you might expect to see in the AHL or some prospects. The Kraken haven't really, the coaching staff hasn't really slotted him into a lineup spot quite yet uh so and there have been a few times too where uh there was one the other day where he kind of lost an edge took a tumble in the corner and was you know checking out that right leg mm -hmm. didn't miss any time he looked fine but i think he's still kind of ramping things up as you'd expect yeah. uh, after recovering from acl surgery it's not an easy recovery um so 
we'll see him continue to kind of build on that. I think he's going to be playing tonight against the Oilers. So that'll be really telling seeing him in game action, but he hasn't been holding back at all in the sense of, you know, he's been on those four checking drills, one of the most tenacious four checkers, not surprised at all by that, but yes, turbo is back still ramping up. But I think by the time the regular season starts, he'll be good to go. I think, I think tonight that first game action is going to be big. It's a, from a, we've heard from many, many athletes, not just in hockey, but around uh, sports, right? That the first ga- bit of game action is where, you know, if you can really trust that, you know, ligament again and all that stuff. And usually what happens is after their first shift, they're fine. And it's never an issue for them moving forward. They, they got all their confidence back and uh, they're, they're totally set. Uh, moving on from Brandon Tanev to uh, a unique group that we saw out there for the Kraken, um, some new faces that I don't think anybody was really exci- uh, you know, expecting to see, and that being the, uh, the dummies, RJ. What's up with that? <laughs> yes, the Kraken have, I, I guess you could call it an upgrade. It's controversial based on the people I talk to, whether it's an upgrade or not. Uh, but yeah, three new Kraken signings, these very kind of realistic looking dummies uh, that they've used for, for shooting drills to kind of screen the goalies. Um, yeah, they've got faces and everything and they, they wheel them out there every day uh, to get practice for the goaltenders. Uh, it's a little different than the kind of tripod type contraptions they had last season, but probably more realistic for the goalies to work with. They even have uh, gloves on and everything. They'll hold a stick. Uh, so yeah, we, we've seen those on the ice. Uh, I've heard some mixed reviews of those for sure uh but yeah we'll see if they make the team <laughs> yes we'll see if they if they hang around long term or not all right so uh i guess you know kind of you can you can base you know me talking about them first before going into the goaltenders kind of how the you know, the overall feeling is coming out of camp about said goaltenders where it just feels like business as usual Pretty much. I mean, Philip Grubauer, we all know he's the starter. He's the number one guy. He's he's looked good in training camp so far, but it's so hard to get a read uh, on a goalie from these sorts of things because they're facing a billion shots. And, you know, unless they're having a really, really bad day or a really, really good day, it all just kind of blends together. And I feel like that's what it's been for Grubauer. Ultimately, you know, he, he knows his practice habits. He knows what he needs to do. And he just has to put it together in games. It's simple as that. Um, so nothing, nothing big surprise there. Uh, Martin Jones and Joey Decord. Martin Jones is looked more or less kind of what, what I expect from him, what I've seen from him again in, in training camp and things like this. So hard to tell. He hasn't been getting beat kind of that high glove side like we're used to as much as I would think. So that could be a good sign. I haven't seen many, uh, many goals against where I'm like, oh, yep, there's there's one of those. Um, so I expect to see that a little bit more, but pleasantly surprised. And then Joey Decord is just locked in, laser focused. I mean, he wants to earn this backup job. Um, he's just so engaged on these pucks, like um, even even when he doesn't stop him, just really locked in um, trying to earn uh, the backup job. So I. Good luck to him. He's even stayed uh, kind of late on some of these practice sessions, just working one-on-one with Matty Beneers, you know, just doing breakaways, that sort of thing. And, and Decord stopped him on a lot of those uh, yesterday. So um, 
He's working really hard. Uh, Magnus Helberg, I, I like what I've seen from him. He's kind of had more of an up and down camp. The, the pads are gorgeous, though. Have yes. to mention, yes. he's got a sweet gear set up. Um, and then, of course, he had probably the biggest highlight of all the goalies yesterday, where he made just this flurry of five or six saves in a row uh, against Johnny Gordon Company. Uh, and he was clearly happy with that because he gave a little no-goal celebration afterward. I posted the video of that on Twitter. Um, but, but you know, he's had a decent camp, so I think he'll probably start in Coachella Valley. But, um, yeah, that backup job, we'll see in the preseason kind of who takes it between Jones and Decord. Grubauer, it's nothing new there. But I do want to talk about the new goalie coach, Steve Briere, because mm -hmm. that is a big difference. All the goalies working with him. Uh, and the goalies have had great things to say about him, too. Uh, Philip especially really kind of praised how uh, – Briere is prepared, how he's, he's got this plan and everything it, that he and, and um, there's a longer article. I forget where it was from. I'm sorry, but I read about Steve Briere and kind of how he approaches everything, almost like a business plan uh, for these different goalies about what they're going to work on uh, and how they're going to make their realities you know, happen. And I think it's something that the new goalies have adjusted well to. Grubauer seems happy. I don't want to say happier. But I, I kind of got that vibe. He didn't say as much, but he, he definitely seems happy with the new goalie coach um, and, and Martin Jones as well. Um, so I, I think they're happy working with him. And I know uh, even Nicholas Coco, the, the Finnish goalie prospect the Kraken had, really liked uh, the time he spent with Steve Breer and Dev Camp. So it's just been all positive reviews on the goalie coach front. Awesome. Love to hear it. Like, I, I got to think that's, you know, one of those top things that Kraken fans could be hearing, again, coming from training camp. And last but not, certainly not least, RJ, Ron Francis kind of had his State of the Franchise address the other day, and we got word about mascot. It's it's happening. That's right. Well, let, let's hope. We've heard this before. Oh, yeah. True. But, sorry, not to put a damper on everything, but we got a mascot update from the GM, Ron Francis himself. First of all, I want to give a shout out uh, to the young fan who asked him about the mascot during the Q&A. It was the best question by far uh, in this fan Q&A. This young mascot knew exactly what they wanted. I mean, this young fan knew exactly what they wanted to ask about. Uh, when are we getting a mascot? And got a good answer out of Ron Francis. He said it might actually be happening sooner rather than later. So pay attention the next few weeks. So Sounds to me like early season mascot reveal. Keep your eyes peeled for it. I do think it's for real this time. Mm -hmm. I even especially think it's for real this time because I tweeted the video of him saying that and the update. And I was quote tweeted by Fuego, mm -hmm. the Firebirds mascot himself with the eyes emoji. So maybe he knows what's going on. Let's hope. Uh, but yeah, we may see a mascot sooner rather than later. Yes, and uh, here, I'll, I'll take back the buzzkill hat because we all know it belongs to me and say hopefully that wasn't <laughs> Fuego just hinting at the fact that Fuego's going to be filling in for the Kraken to start the season while Coachella Valley's oh, up in no. Seattle. <laughs> Would we you ever know what? Trust... I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> Would we ever trust Ron Francis again? <laughs> no. No, the, the mask, as we know, that means more. You know, he's been really, you know, forthright telling us about all the, the player roster yeah. moves, all this stuff. But hey, if you if you mislead us on the mascot, we just can't trust you. That's it. We will run you out of town no matter how good a job you're doing elsewhere. Um, awesome. So, so excited to hear all this stuff. Obviously, train camp continuing. You got to 
head out soon uh, for that kind of stuff and then get ready for the, the preseason starting tonight. Super, super excited for all that. Looking forward to it all. Thank you so much for an amazing training camp report, RJ. You did a fantastic job up there. Again, everybody, you can follow along on the Discord, link in the description below, and certainly on Twitter. Uh, we are at Emerald City HKY on Twitter. You will get all of the latest and greatest from RJ at training camp there. And then uh, just a, a quick thanks to Jen for all the amazing photos. Been sprinkling those throughout the video version of this podcast uh, on YouTube. Thanks again for that. They are amazing photos. Highly recommend if you're just listening to the audio version of this, checking out the video version so you can see uh, all the great work Jen is doing there. Uh, but for us here at Emerald City Hockey on the deep dive, I think we've got to say, see you all next time.